HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Natalie King. Known as a sauce maven, Natalie is the creator of an award-winning line of Georgia-grown, Asian-inspired sauces that feature natural ingredients and harken old family recipes. Natalie is also now a brand new cookbook author with a book out called Egg Rolls and Sweet Tea. The book is in part a memoir of Natalie's personal food journey growing up in the Deep South as a first-generation Chinese-American, but it's also a cookbook full of 100-plus tasty Asian-American and Southern fusion dishes, sauces, and drinks that home cooks will enjoy preparing and sharing. Thank you so much for being here, Natalie. I'm so excited and I'm hungry just talking about this already. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Ni hao, y'all. <laughs> Yay. So take me back to the very beginning. Clearly, I've alluded to the fact that you were Chinese-American first generation growing up in the South. But what is that story? Where were you born? And where is your family from? And how did you end up in the Deep South as a first generation Chinese-American? Well, my parents actually spent their adult lives um, in America, in the Deep South, in Georgia. And so they immigrated from Taiwan. So they identify more with the Taiwanese culturally and spent their adult lives here. They come over as uh, young graduate students. And I was born and raised in Georgia. So I recall playing during the long summer days outside. My dad had built a muscadine vine in our backyard. I remember going to the county fairs. I loved the food and the rides there and playing in the backyards amongst the wild spearmint and playing hide and go seek under both the muscadine vines and sucking nectar out of the honeysuckle. I mean, those are all my very fond memories of growing up in the South. No kidding. Well, those sound like very wholesome, like picturesque memories that you're describing. And what was it like kind of 
being there at that time where and I would imagine there wasn't a ton of diversity or correct me if I'm wrong, what was that like growing up experience like for you in that area? You're right. I mean, there were very few um, Asian Americans here at the time. So, I mean, we were pretty all American, except for the fact that I I spoke uh, Chinese at home. My parents mm-hmm. really wanted us to retain that language. Um, but besides that, I mean, they really embraced and I think uh, passed on their love of the South for the food, the sports. I mean, we were outside all the time, whether it was, you know, fishing at Lake Alatoona or um, tubing on the Chattahoochee. Um, just playing lots of sports outside. So they were very fond memory memories, even though um, there weren't many people who looked like us physically. Um, but that's not always something that you you live every day, right? You just kind of go with the flow and you enjoy the surroundings. And they were very positive um, in encouraging us to try lots of different things, being adventurous, not being afraid of things that might be different or strange. Um, So really, you know, for me, it was more like, okay, I have to try this thing called an oyster, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Or growing up um, even later, you know, taking my first trip back to Taiwan was really the strange part for me, right? Instead yeah. of it being here, I mean, this was my home, you know, and I had, you know, friends here. And like I said, they kind of inculcated a passion of the outdoors and adventure to us, um, given that my dad was kind of a a scientist adventurer himself. So kind of playing around with different um, foods and recipes and just really encouraging us to not only socially kind of reach out and uh, meet as many people and be open to talking to folks who might be different or had a different culture, but just also just trying all the, the cool foods and um, you know activities that were in the area too. Yeah, totally. And so were your parents or I don't know who was cooking at home, were they making kind of more traditional Taiwanese recipes at home? Or was it you were just deeply embedded in Southern cuisine at that point? Or what were kind of some of the dishes that you grew up eating at home? Both my parents were working professionals. So, um, you know, there were some weekends where we might be at home and occasionally, you know, have extended family come over, friends um, come over and we would, you know, make dumplings together. But really, for the most part, you know, my mother was a public schools teacher full time. My father was both kind of teaching at Georgia Tech and, you know, opening some additional enterprises, being an entrepreneur so that um, family members, extended family members would be able to come over and have jobs. So, you know, they were very busy working professionals. So, you know, sometimes it would just be, you know, what is coming out, you know, fresh at the market or at the Winn-Dixie, you know, and my mom would just kind of cook up whatever she could in her cast iron skillet. And sometimes it would be um, something that was like pepper steak and rice roni, right? <laughs> yeah. or, or a local vegetable that we would find lots of fresh vegetables in the South, um, five spice rutabaga, or doing something like crunchy okra and tomatoes. So those were really just what we had on the supper table. It wasn't, you know, uh, any anything by design 
to have the fusion. It was just what was fresh and available. Yeah, totally. And so what were some of your favorite foods? Was it, were you leaning more towards enjoying the Southern foods or what were some of your favorites growing up? Hmm. I think, I mean, I had a lot of allergies when I was a baby. So, you know, I couldn't have ice cream or dairy. I had a lot of, yeah. And so that's That's why one of my, right. And so one of my kind of close to my heart recipes is the matcha green tea ice cream pie, you know, the gotcha matcha. Because I wasn't able to eat ice cream and, you know, my sisters had to like hide behind the couch to eat their ice cream. So that's one that's kind of close to my heart. Uh, But, you know, my mom's like Asian, she has a Chinese spaghetti, you know, that was kind of a a mix of, you know, Taiwanese sauces and spices mixed in with just regular spaghetti and pasta. And I did love lots of vegetables and, but as a younger kid, right, you need spices and sauces to go along with it to make it more palatable. So I think that's where, um, kind of the love for different sauces came in. Um, Um, I would remember different kinds of marinades and brines, um, whether it was for steak or chicken or with the salads and part of my kind of story of how the sauces were born um, can be based back to, you know, my favorite flavors during childhood of, you know, fresh tomatoes from the garden and then marinated in like a vinegar sugar brine. Mm -hmm. So I tried to mimic some of those flavors of my childhood into my sauces, which actually was a pretty painstaking process. It wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, I mean, those are, that's kind of a beautiful story and what a lovely thing to be inspired by. And I think a lot of people didn't grow up with that level of availability of kind of like local produce and fresh flavors. You know, I grew up in the 90s in like suburban South Florida. And, you know, it's not like there's a lot of farms or anything around here. And we, you know, we're eating very processed like Lunchables and, you know, all that type of stuff. And then, you know, growing up and learning that, oh, wow, it's really not good for us (laughs) eating all this hyper-processed food. So I think it's such a beautiful thing to be able to have that kind of upbringing and acknowledgement of those ingredients from such a young age, which clearly like fueled so much of your career and life's work moving forward in the rest of your life. So that's very, very cool to, to hear. And so when did you decide like, okay, sauces are my passion? Or when did you kind of make that decision that you were going to pursue that as a more robust thing in your life? Really by opening up my refrigerator, because it was just lined with bottles, right? Bottles of condiments, but not one of them really captured kind of, you know, all right, I need to make a a stir fry with some fresh vegetables. What one bottle of sauce can I grab? Um, There just wasn't one or, hey, I want, you know, a really good kind of dressing or marinade. You know, is there something natural, right? With, um, I didn't want any of the junk, the high fructose corn syrups, um, or I want something kind of fusion, you know, maybe I want something sweet and sour, but has a little touch of sesame oil. So I realized that when I looked at my refrigerator that was full of sauce bottles and condiments that not one of them really was my favorite. And so that's when I kind of got the aha moment that, 
you know, a lot of things would be so much better with sauce and it's kind of an easy way to make something delicious and healthy, right? A plain vegetable or a plain piece of meat or even um, a takeout, right? It's something we don't always have time to make things from scratch. So, um, you know, what makes it really good? It's a sauce. Sauce makes everything taste good. So I kind of set about trying to recreate these favorite flavors that I remembered, whether it was like fresh fruit in it or some fusion of, you know, a little touch of um, soy sauce and a little touch of, you know, molasses. And so I kind of started playing around and it was, you know, with a lot of fresh ingredients, a lot of chopping and shopping, a lot of tasting, um, trying to figure out the right balance, right? So that's how it came about into a sweet chili peach, which is kind of my version for a sweet and sour, tangy, zesty with fresh fruit. And I didn't That want, sounds so good. <laughs> I didn't want a ton of sugar. I didn't want it to be goopy, goopy sweet, which is what was out there. I didn't want um, funny colors, right? A bright red colors. Yeah. And so that's how that came about. And then the soy ginger Vidalia was really just an all-in-one, you know, amazing kind of fast one-minute stir-fry sauce, uh, which can also serve as a marinade for steak. Or, you know, if you add a little touch of, um, you can also use it as dressing too, but it's really my replacement for, um, you know, plain soy sauce, which can be higher in sodium, but, you know, mine has more flavor and low sodium. So um, that one is kind of an homage to my grandmother's all-in-one stir-fry sauce, which she used like 10 different fresh ingredients to make. And then the last one is the Asian barbecue teriyaki pineapple which is, you know, how can you be Southern and not like barbecue, right? True. (laughs) So that's my version of kind of a teriyaki with a little bit more sweetness, right? So the soy ginger Vidalia is more savory. The Asian barbecue teriyaki pineapple has a little tropical sweetness, which is naturally uh, sweetened by the pineapple and the molasses. All right. Well, those all sound Mm -hmm. incredible. And (laughs) I am, like I said, when we first started, I'm already hungry just thinking about this. But I mean, I love like, really, I can't really pick a favorite per se, but just all the cuisines like within the umbrella of Asian cuisine, whether that be Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Taiwanese, Thai, Vietnamese, like that's always like the flavors that I gravitate towards personally, just like what I enjoy eating. So even just like, hearing this cool new fusion that you put the spin that you put on those flavors is very, very exciting to me. And I was lucky enough to be sent a copy of your cookbook. So I'm pumped to crack into that (laughs) and get involved with all these cool fusions. So what I guess happened in between, you know, you're developing these sauces, you're selling these sauces, you're the sauce maven. What was kind of the impetus to then put out a cookbook and now it's not just sauces, it's recipes. So what, how did that happen? Well, my early events were, were really interactive cooking classes. And so, you know, I taught classes from, you know, law firms to the Atlanta Botanical Garden. I was invited to Sea Island to develop a kind of farm to table um, seminar for them. And I would also bring people together through the Asian markets, supermarket tours, because I found myself, you know, just shopping on my own. And then all of a sudden I had folks kind of 
around me asking me when I was on the soy sauce aisle or when I was picking out my lemongrass or, or, or looking at walks that folks would just come and ask me, how do I find a good sauce or how do, what is lemongrass or what is the difference between this walk and that walk? So I realized that after I would get stuck in the grocery store, which was supposed to be like a 20 minute run in would end up being like an hour and I would come out with like new friends, um, that that was a need and an interest. So whereas I kind of cook a little bit more spontaneously, you know, I don't really measure, um, then folks asked me for recipes. So my early events were different cooking classes and different, um, interactive tours and taking people out and then it developed into team building and helping companies actually, um, you know, introduce new associates or do something mm-hmm. more interesting for a, a leadership summit. And so that's how it came about into actually writing down the recipes, putting my favorite sauces into bottles uh, is because people from my classes to the events um, to the tours, asked me to write something or to bottle something. And I realized that with my work in the corporate sector, when I was working there, I was charged with, you know, kind of developing teams and um, trying to make sure everybody got along and that we were able to tap yeah. into diverse strengths, that we would spend a lot of time in the boardroom and in a lot of meetings talking about, you know, how can we all get along? But then when we went out to eat at the local taqueria, you know, get a taco or get sushi or have a potluck, that we all got along fine. And so it was really then that I I kind of developed the platform of cooking up a better world and realize that the power of food and culture could be leveraged, you know, to not only make our world a better place, um, to help us be more productive, to develop our leadership skills, um, that it really could affect the bottom line, essentially, as well as, you know, help a lot of folks um, give back, like they would uh, make more connections in the community as they uh, kind of open their eyes to where our food came from, then they would then connect a little bit more to their community and maybe the local farmers markets and supporting local businesses. So it kind of all came together that way in terms of the actual programming and the book itself. Oh my gosh. Well, I absolutely love that. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
what was it like for you to kind of immortalize all those recipes? And, you know, I know that producing a cookbook is a huge labor of love and it's not something to be taken lightly. So congratulations on that. But what was that experience like for you? Was it kind of rewarding to then see your brain children out there like in print right in front of you? Or what was that experience like for you? I felt very lucky and grateful that, you know, Gibbs Smith Publishing um, helped me make my dream come true, that Deborah Llewellyn was the photographer that brought all the recipes to life and made the food dishes look so gorgeous and beautiful. Mm. So I feel very thankful for for meeting them. And, you know, along the way, everyone who encouraged me to do a book or to continue on this path from, you know, the Georgia grown community to other um, vendors and entrepreneurs and folks at the farmer's market. So in the book, um, my publisher said that I have the longest acknowledgements ever, right? I said, you've got to keep everyone because um, (laughs) it's really important, right? To recognize um, the inspiration that I've had along the way, but also I try to highlight uh, and encourage folks to buy local, regardless of if they're in Georgia or not. But I did highlight some um, Southern purveyors, um, but also just wherever you are to go to your local farmer's market or to try to find some women-owned businesses and entrepreneurs to support. So it's been a real privilege. I've had a great amount of fun doing it. And I'm excited when folks can come up to me and they're so kind of inspired and excited about trying the dishes, but also what I'm doing. And I feel like I have the luckiest job in the world, right? It's the best job in the world. (laughs) It's not one that you do alone. And it certainly took a village and I'm forever grateful to all the individuals that helped me along the way and people who still inspire me. Um, I mean, including all the women, mostly women who've kind of labored in the kitchen for centuries, right. And never would have thought that their dishes or their, uh, their tips would ever end up in social media. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a book and it's stories that are really pay homage to all the women that have come before me and the ones that are still inspiring me now. That's so wonderful to hear that. And I think that it's kind of cute and funny that you said that they gave you like the, a little bit of a hard time for having the longest acknowledgements ever. It kind of reminds me of those people who, you know, they're accepting their Academy Awards and they're getting like shooed off the stage. But I'm always kind of thinking to myself, like, you know, is that such a problem? These people are very grateful. They have a lot of people to thank and a lot of people to, you know, express that gratitude towards. So that's clearly the position that you're in. And I'm sure those people all appreciate it very kindly. And I, what has the, you mentioned that people, you know, kind of come up to you and tell you how excited they are to try the recipes and whatnot. What has the, I guess, feedback been of the people who tried this? Cause this is a type of fusion, you know, we're talking Asian fusion, you know, Chinese American plus Southern cuisine. This is not something that I've really ever tried or had the opportunity to try at restaurants or definitely not in my own cooking. Um, are people really, you know, kind of excited and or what is kind of the feedback about this type of these recipes? Cause they seem super, super unique to me. So I'm kind of like, what do these things taste like? Like I'm wondering now, I'm like very excited to try it myself, but what have you been hearing from folks? I think similar to my 
uh, Asian supermarket, international supermarket tours, it, it kind of helps demystify some of the things. Um, but it's also, it's not about being, you know, exotic gourmet or inaccessible. It's really the opposite. It's about trying to not only demystify, but actually meet people where they are. I mean, because I grew up here in Georgia and we didn't have access to a lot of different ingredients, except we did have access to a lot of fresh vegetables. Um, and, you know, for some, at some time, you know, it was really a luxury to eat meat. So there's a lot of vegetable uh, dishes in there, but obviously, you know, I also love barbecue. So there's also the meat dishes. Um, so there's some recipes in there that literally would be probably 15 minutes, um, all less than, you know, 30 minutes for sure. And might have yeah. two or three ingredients like the, you know, <laughs> I'm really tired today. I just want to sit at the counter and eat my avocado kind of day or, <laughs> you know, I'm not or I have some fresh okra, but I don't really want to eat it slimy and I don't really have right. time to make it fried. So what can I do? And, and we had like a really a crunchy okra and tomato kind of stir fry come about, or I have a bag of meatballs, but I really would like to make it more healthy than just eating meat. What can I do? And I have a family to feed and they really like sauces. So I have the sweet and sour stir fried meatballs, which I did recently for a class as well. So I think there's, there's something for everybody in there. And, you know, similar to my upbringing, you know, my cookbook doesn't fit in any one particular textbook genre, right? And neither do I, I guess, and in my experience. So um, I'm hoping that everyone will kind of find their own favorite recipes and you can make it your own and add your own twist. You know, um, I'm looking forward to that engagement, that interaction and exchange of, mm -hmm. you know, how you made the dish differently or adapted it to your own supper table. And it becomes your own supper table favorite and also becomes your own version of authentic because that's really what they are. The recipes were just my versions of what I grew up with and my version of what was authentic to me. But I think, you know, I get a lot of questions around authenticity. And I, I think a big part of it is in the beholder, like who's asking it, who's defining it, and whether you think the dish actually tastes good. And, you know, is it about more the culture and tradition or is it about whether it just tastes good or not? Right. Yeah, totally. And how does it feel for you to kind of have this voice in this space? And, you know, I feel just in talking to you like that, I can tell that you're an incredibly authentic person. So does it kind of feel rewarding for you to have that recognition, I guess? I think the, the journey is just starting. I mean, it's just wonderful when people come up to me and they mention specific recipes that they want to try, or they say, you know, I never thought that I could enjoy X, Y, and Z in such a, a simple way, or I never thought about um, being able to, you know, eat beans sweet or, you know, something. I never realized yeah. that black eyed peas, you know, have a South Asian origin or that ketchup, something that we think of as all American could have anything other than an American tradition that it actually has some interesting 
uh, origins over in South Asia and in Taiwan. And I think in the end, I mean, not only is it so fun to interact directly with folks, but we feel like it's a smaller world, you know, and as we just kind of gone through, you know, we went through and still are going through a global kind of experience of the pandemic and folks being separated or having to be more remote um, and needing to be more health conscious, that this is what we need, it seems. And that's really very fulfilling and gratifying for me to to realize that there's all these different kind of touch points that people are or finding through the book, you know, from the fun recipes to an interesting way of, of cooking up, you know, having boiled peanuts for the first time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, or not realizing the health benefits of matcha green tea, you know, so everybody's coming at it from a different place, but that's kind of the fun creative part. And I'm very much looking forward to, you know, any more doors that are opened up. And um, I love the way that folks are excited about it and anything that's, you know, positive and brings us together, um, I think is a good thing because we need it. We seem to all need that now. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no kidding. It's like the most important thing. And I always find myself in like such mental health slumps when I like am lacking that togetherness in my life. And, you know, I always say as someone who works in food full time, that that's like the number one way to bring people together and share stories, you know, through food. And so it seems like, you know, we're drinking the same Kool-Aid and we have the same perspective on these things. And I think it's a beautiful thing that your book is able to do that and it's able to provide that community and get people excited about trying new cuisines. That's like, you know, the most rewarding thing in the world. And like you said, it's the best job in the world. So <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, when we're, when we're more open to the food, then we're more open to the people. I mean, you know, totally. and when we come to love the food, then we are more open to the people and the culture. And I've seen that over and over again as, you know, whether it's on a personal kind of one-on-one or in my corporate career and kind of seeing how, you know, food can bring together diverse teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. And I think that that's, I've seen it happen too with like a lot of different, I guess, ethnicities that people were not as familiar with their cuisines. And then all of a sudden people, you know, the cuisines start getting super popular and then everybody starts you know, learning more about the culture. And it's like, you just see it happen so often. And I think that that's a really beautiful way that you put that so eloquently. And yeah, I think it's, it just, I, I, my favorite thing in the world is to go out and try, you know, different foods from different cultures that I wasn't as familiar with. And so that's kind of why I'm so excited about your book. Cause like I said, it's a fusion that I've never personally tried. And I think that, yeah, it's a great thing. And has it been exciting for you to kind of shed more light on your culture and your family's culture, like in an area that I guess people may have not been as familiar with that? Like you said, you know, growing up in the South, has that kind of been a part of your mission here is to kind of bring awareness to those cultures and that cuisine? I mean, I've been told it's a coffee table cookbook. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, folks, like I said, can be a cook or a non-cook or a home chef or can be someone who works in a Fortune 500 company, you know, that actually finds inspiration in it. Um, So, yes, I I think it's wonderful to be able to 
kind of challenge assumptions and stereotypes because, you know, in the end, you know, we're really all in it together. And, you know, when, as a small business owner, it was, it was very difficult um, a few years ago, right. When we were going through the pandemic and I had to pivot as well. Like I, every, all of our events were canceled and um, we didn't really know what was coming next. And I was then appointed to serve on the governor's task force for health and, you know, so I started kind of turning my attention towards how can we, um, how can I give back? How can we, you know, we don't have the events and tours going on now um, and people aren't shopping. So um, it was a, a pivot towards the community. So I realized then, you know, the, the power of coming together and also the power of obviously coming together around food, but that we really mm-hmm. you know, need each other to do this. And that if I can play a small role in doing that, then I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and making me very excited to try your recipes. I'm like so excited now that I have your book. I was like, oh, I know I'm going to like, it's beautiful. But now I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to try this stuff. So thank you for that. (laughs) Do you have any in particular that have caught your eye? No, I haven't opened it yet. So I've moved into a new apartment. So basically I have all of my books like kind of lined up that we still have to kind of set up in a cute way. So it's kind of like on the stack of books. And so now that we're talking about it, it's like reminded me top of mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get in there and try these. So you can also buy my sauces ready made. (laughs) You're still setting up your kitchen. Yes, you can um, let me know if you have any questions through Sauce Maven or the sauces are on globalhearth.com. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for everything and congratulations on the book and all of your success. And, you know, just thank you. Thank you for sharing this with me. And it was such a pleasure chatting with you. Same here. Thanks so much, Alexa. It was a pleasure and privilege. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.